It's a good thing to just experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit into our life. It's wonderful to have the presence of God and for God to begin to start working in and through us. You know, when we become born again, he places that new uh, spirit, a new spirit man within us, a new spirit being, and he begins working and changing us into a new creation, a new creation that looks like Jesus. And that's our aim and that's where we're going. You know, last month I I brought a message on holiness and I I just wanted to do a quick recap here. I just wanted to uh, to, uh, highlight actually the fact of of how our um, culture affects the way that we view God and we relate to him. Now I pointed out that that the holiness of God is the purity, the perfection and the distinction or the uniqueness in God in that God is separate from and radically different from and exalted far above all of his creatures. Okay, He's equally uh, separate from all moral evil and sin. Okay, I briefly mentioned how how the Son is God's holiness in human form. Jesus is the perfect representation of God's nature, character and holiness in every way. And thirdly, I spoke on man's call to holiness. How being holy as the Lord is holy implies the idea of devotion or of being separated to God's service and how that speaks of our relationship with God and how and, and that relationship results in a state of godly conduct of moral and moral excellence within us. However, in order for that to take place, it requires a response from us. We have to do something about that, where we actively engage in that process of being made holy, being called into God's holiness daily. Uh, You might remember that the reason that these messages came about to begin with is because I really felt that God was saying to us that in order to experience in order to, uh, to see the flow of the presence and the power of God in the way that he is desiring to give it to us and wanting to bring it into our lives, that uh, we needed to, to come and to experience and, and gain a fresh understanding of the holiness of God and to begin to live out that call to holiness daily. I really think it's something that God is emphasizing for us at the moment. You know, and the two scriptures that I, I have been basing these messages on have been from Leviticus 19.2 where it says, Be holy, for I am holy. And, and also in Hebrews 12.14 where it says, Work at living a holy life, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Wow. Now, in the previous message, we looked at what holiness is. And today I want to look further into the process and the requirements of holiness in our lives. So if you'd like to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read from verses 1 through to about 15. And in this passage, we're going to see some of the characteristics that we need to apply in our lives in order to see the holiness of God working in and through our lives. So Hebrews chapter 12, reading from verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, Uh, to the life of faith let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up 
And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. He is now seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of, uh, of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not given your own lives in the struggle against sin. And, you have, uh, and have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to, to you as his children? He said, my child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not give up when he corrects you. For the, Lord's dis- the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes each one he accepts as his own child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and you are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best that they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet that those who are weak uh, and lame will not fall but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God and watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Long, long uh, bit of scripture, I realize, but uh, just in the preceding chapter, in chapter 11, it's, you know, that, that's the, the, the chapter of faith, known as the chapter of faith, where we, we see and, and read about the examples of the Old Testament patriarchs and saints and the life of faith that they actually lived. And here in chapter 12, uh, the author is envisaging uh, a great cr- a crowd of witnesses that is up there uh, that is not only just uh, looking at us as we run this race of endurance. <coughs> Excuse me. Been having trouble with frogs in the throat just recently. I remember that... Um, that's okay, I can stay there. I, I remember that, uh, you know, there was a, there's a famous saying by Norman Schwarzkopf, if you've got to swallow a frog, you don't want to look, look at the sucker too long. So I've had to change this word quite a number of times through the week because I felt like God kept on sort of directing me a slightly different way. So I swallowed the frog and I'm not letting him back out. So anyway, yes, the, the wording suggests that they are witnesses not only of our race but also witnesses to us in the fact that they've already lived their lives of faith by their words and by their actions. So my first point, oh, before I get on to that, while faith is undoubtedly a big attribute in living a holy life, I really want to focus on two topics this morning, that being of endurance and discipline. 
aren't they just so inviting? <laughs> oh, don't you just love it when somebody comes and says they want to talk about such things? Endurance and discipline. Well, yeah, I'll have lots of that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, the first point is prioritize your life to run with endurance. Before a professional runner begins a race, and especially a long-distance race, uh, that kind of event, there's usually a, a lot of preparation that, that's needed beforehand. Even many serious amateur runners, runners will put in a lot of work, a lot of preparation, and there, there may be days, it could be weeks, months, even years in some cases, of, of work, of training that needs to go in. You know, there'll be weight training to increase toughness and durability, cardio training to give capacity and stamina, technique training to maximise the start and to give good economy of motion. Maybe there's psychological training to get a bit of mental toughness and some tenacity. And there's always dietary considerations, you know, fueling the body with all the nutrients that are needed. And all of that they do just to give themselves the best chance of running this race. Now, the first thing that we're told to do in running this race that God has marked out before us in verse uh, 1 is to strip off every weight that slows us down, especially sin. Now, just like a runner is not going to head off into a race wearing safety gear, you know, he's not going to put on his safety helmet, his eye and ear protection, you know, the, the fluoro yellow safety vest, and don't forget those wonderful heavy steel cap boots. He's not going to run off like that. You know, there's a whole lot of weight there that needs to be stripped off. So we need to, you know, offload, to take off, to strip off those things that slow us down in the race that God has marked out before us. So the first thing I want to ask you this morning is, just can you think about this, bear it in mind, what is it that is slowing you down? in pursuing God, in running the race that God has got before you? What is it this morning that is slowing you down? Sometimes the weight that slows us down is not necessarily sin. It can be other things that distract us or sidetrack us. Sometimes those things, they just burn up time and they don't really add anything much to our life. You know, uh, and, and they don't add anything to the race that, that we're running in. You know, some of those things, maybe for you, it could be TV or music. Maybe it's, it's social media like, uh, like, like Tracy was telling us about last week. It's addictive, apparently. I haven't experienced that yet, but apparently it's addictive. So maybe it's that. Maybe it's online interests or it could be gaming. It could be, um, you know, hobbies, sports, outdoor activities. It could even be some friendships. It could be some friendships. Now, there's nothing wrong or bad with any of those things that I just mentioned. But we do need to just take consideration of all of those things. You know, different things have different times and different seasons. And we need to lay aside the things that hinder us and, and that hold us back. And especially that sin. That, that, that so closely st uh, sticks to us. You know, we need to have a view uh, to eternity. We need to weigh these things up with uh, hearing what the Holy Spirit has got to say about it. Because, you know, sometimes we can just get bogged down in a sidetrack and or we can get something that just sort of takes our lives somewhere off track. 
And we don't want to do that. We need to, to, to lay aside all of that weight and especially the sin that, sin, that, that uh, clings so closely to us. You know, if it, it, it can trip us up. It can obstruct our movements and it definitely hinders our relationship with God. It does. And, uh, you know, this is the bit that I'm sort of wrestling a little bit. You know, we, we may have to persist in our battle with sin. Maybe our struggle is, is internal. Maybe it is actually a sin problem that we're dealing with. You know, statistically speaking, there's a lot of sin problems that are within the church. And I, I don't want to get into that. I would much rather the Holy Spirit would speak to you about that if you're struggling in sin this morning. But, you know, we have to lay those things aside. We're, maybe it's, it's internal in terms of thoughts that we're having trouble bringing under control. Maybe it's, it's our motives or desires. Perhaps it's, it's attitudes. Maybe we're saying things that we know we shouldn't say or doing things we know we shouldn't do. And we, stra- we struggle with that. We wrestle with that. And it's good that we do, but God is desiring to bring the victory for us in our lives in that. But we have to persist on in our struggle with sin. We really do. You know, where it says that we we, have to lay aside especially the sin, it speaks here about our attitude. What is our attitude here? We have to be determined to put it aside, not to entertain it. And there is, you know, there's, there's a real struggle sometimes that we have in that. But I know, but I know, but I know God wants us to keep struggling in that because eventually victory comes. Verse 1 says, Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Running with endurance speaks of stamina, fortitude, grit, perseverance, persistence. You know, I read a quote a couple of weeks ago by a fellow named Newt Gingrich. What a name, eh? Newt Gingrich. He was actually the 50th speaker of the House of Representatives in the US. And he said persistence is the hard work we do after the hard work we've already done. That's what it is. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Persistence is just persisting on. The hard work we do after the hard work we've already done. You know, it's just keeping on keeping on it's never giving in and never giving up always keeping on and always fighting on in fact specifically in this passage the word endurance here is referring to the characteristic of a man who is unswerving from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to the faith and his loyalty to piety even by the greatest trials and sufferings that's what mr thayer has to say So what I want to ask is, so how do we endure like that? How do we endure like that? Verse 2 tells us, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, our champion. Our encouragement is to run hard with endurance. And it doesn't come by being distracted by everything that's happening around us. It doesn't happen by, by being distracted by what the other competitors are doing 
what the other contestants, I like to use the word contestants actually, because it's not about competing. It's really about contesting the race. It's not me against you or against anyone else. It's just me running the race that God has marked out for, for me to run or you for you, for you to run. Um, get excited and then you lose your place. Isn't that good? <laughs> so our encouragement comes by keeping our eyes on the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus, our champion, also endured the cross, disregarding its shame. You know, the death uh, of crucifixion was such a public humiliation. The Romans really perfected it in the sense that it left you naked. It was long-lasting. It was torturous. It was agonizing. It was just absolutely uh, humiliation in, in every sense and in every way. And remember that besides the physical pain, Jesus also had to endure the wrath of God against sin. He had to take our curse, our sin, you know, paying the price of our debt, the price that we could not pay for ourselves. Now, the price that we pay in standing for righteousness today just doesn't compare, just doesn't compare. You know, our following with Jesus and the price we pay just does not compare to the price that he paid in becoming our saviour. Verse 3 reminds us that when we remember the hostility that Jesus endured, we won't become weary and give up. We're encouraged to keep in mind that he suffered so much for our benefit. Our author, our champion, the author and perfecter of our faith, ran with stamina and perseverance with a never-say-die attitude. He stuck it out. He persisted in his fight against sin to finish the race that God had set before him. So, in the same way, we are encouraged to follow in hard after him and to run the race of endurance too in the same way the, the, the same way that he did, that path that God has marked out before us. Point two is that God's discipline produces God's fruit. God's discipline produces God's fruit. Verses 5 to 11 speaks of discipline and the fact that God does discipline us and in doing so, he proves that we are his children, that he has adopted us and he proves his love for us. It also goes on to explain the fruit that God's discipline produces within us. And as we read verse 5, it's actually quoting from Proverbs chapter 3. But verse 5 says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words? Forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. The author is actually encouraging the believers here in saying, you are God's children. Don't make little or despise God's discipline and instruction. Don't be discouraged and don't give up when he corrects you. There is an idea here of enduring on in God's discipline. Discipline is not a popular word in our culture today, and I probably don't have to tell anybody that, that right now. It's not comfortable, and often we just don't choose it because in our culture we're allowed to escape it. That's not necessarily a good thing, but we are allowed to escape it. So you want discipline with that? 
Ah, uh, no thanks. No, no, I'll, I'll avoid it if I can. Uh, discipline is usually associated in a negative light and it's seen as being a bit old-fashioned and quite a lot out of date. But, 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 but I want to say to you that the word discipline here is in fact used in a very parental and loving way. Verse 6 shows us just that. The word discipline throughout this passage speaks of God's divine loving correction or chastisement, his education, preparation, training and nurture that he directly applies to our lives for our highest good. You know, verse 7 starts with, as you endure divine discipline. So it's pretty straight. It's right out there, laid out for us clearly. As you, devi- as you endure divine discipline. You know, the Message Bible puts it this way. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. We don't want to be dropouts of the school of the Spirit. And that's what we're in. We're in the school of the Holy Spirit. He is training us. He is teaching us. He is giving us endurance. He is preparing us. He is nurturing us. And he's educating us in the ways of God, in the holiness of God. Okay. So remember, verse 7 then continues on and says, remember that God is treating you as his own children. It builds on from the the idea in verse 6 where it says, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and we are the object of his love. We are being treated as his own children. Verses 7, 8, 9 and 10 then contrast the fact that God's disciplining of us is proof that we are his own children and that only irresponsible parents leave their children spoiled, untrained, unprepared and uneducated, undisciplined. God knows what he's doing. And when he disciplines us, he does it for our own good. He's not guessing at it. He's not thinking like we do as parents or as our parents perhaps did for us. Oh, I think that what you need is a bit of a pulling into line. <laughs> Or whatever the case happened to be. You know, uh, God knows what he's doing. And when he does it, he does it for our own good. You know, having said that, the author has a bit of reality check in verse 11. And he says, "Ah, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. And it's not. Nobody enjoys being disciplined. It's not an enjoyable thing. Uh, at, at all in that sense you know it's usually we're uncomfortable it usually rubs us the wrong way and we tend to endure it rather than enjoy it and i think that's the point of it right here is enduring it it's not a pleasant at the time and you're definitely not in your happy place but then right in the middle there's this little middle of the verse there's this little joining word but and you like those that's because the idea changes now yeah there's a bit of this but Remember this, afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who have been trained in this way. If we submit to God, as it says in verse 9, then we will really live. God's discipline to believers is actually life-giving. Do you know that? God's discipline is life-giving. It's life-giving. Then in verse 10, God goes on and he he will train us. He will instruct us in holiness. He will shape and mold our character to be 
like him. When we get that capacity within our lives, then we need to exercise that new capacity. We need to, to, uh, to bring forth. We need to help God in a sense. We need to partner with God to bring forth that harvest of right living. You know, because it's not just a thing of I get saved and born again and there, so therefore God will do whatever God wants to do in my life and I will be whoever God wants me to be. We actually have some choices in that. And we have to choose to accept the discipline of God where he shapes and molds and trains us or we push against it. We begin to say, well, no thanks. That's, that's not for me. I, I don't want that. I'd prefer to go my way. I think my way is better. It's a bit easier. I don't have to struggle and wrestle quite so much. But the thing is that we need to be trained by God's righteousness so that we can bring in that right living, the peace that God is desiring to bring into our lives and that harvest, that fruit that God has to come in and through our lives. You know, we, we want to bear that fruit. When it comes to harvest time, I was just thinking, you know, Russ had said it before, in har- at a harvest time, wherever there is a harvest on, and I know this because I was on a farm, everybody has a job to do. It's always a really busy time. And it's the same thing in this, where you're really encouraged to come and partner with God to bring in this harvest of right living in our lives so that we can be like our father. Because, you know, that's what happens when, when parents discipline children. We begin to start to see that children start to get shaped and molded and they start to look like their parents. They start to take on some of those characteristics that are being forged into their life because that's what discipline does. It, it forges those things. Uh, and I, I know a little bit about that being an old soldier. You know, having the discipline rammed into you forges something within you that wasn't there before. But the difference is that God does it with our new born-again nature, with the nature that is like him with what he is looking to bring in and through our lives. The fruit, the fruit, the harvest of right living. God, my third point is God has called you, so work to please him. God has called you, so work to please him. For these reasons, it says in verse 12, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. God's desire is that no believer would stumble or fall or be bogged down in despair or spiritual exhaustion, but sticking on and staying on the straight and narrow path, the one that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7. That's what we need to do. That's what we're being encouraged to do there. Verse 14 brings us to my second holiness text, which is work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Now, I don't want to labor this point because I think that I've already shown that we need to apply ourselves in God's call. And his call to us is to be holy as he is holy. 
and to live a life that is holy and pleasing to him. Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 1, Ephesians 4 verse 1, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. I beg you, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Verse 15, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. The Holy Spirit gives grace to move the church forward in growth. The revelation of God is always progressive and he's not going to leave us where we are right now. He desires for us to grow in maturity and into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. That's where we're going, to be looking like Jesus in every way. We are on a God-led journey and mission. Let's look out for each other so that none of us fail, falls behind or, or misses out on what God has in store for us. And that's really what the church is about, looking out for one another, building one another up. All of the one another's that are in the, the, the New Testament there. And, and staying hungry for God as we move forward. Watch out that no per- poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. You know, it can be easy to grow bitter and cynical when things don't work out as we think that they should. It's re- it can be really easy. And if we're not careful, then we can easily blame others and we can justify ourselves. We, we can find ourselves trying to convince people that we are right and that another group within the, the church is wrong. And, uh, and we can easily begin to start to take things out on people around us. And you might think it's, it's uh, that's not going to happen to me. It's, that's, you know, that's not, not something that, that's going to take place. But I just want you to think for a minute. Most people as I look around here have been believers for a little while. And I will guarantee you, every single one of you have heard these two things at least. The church hurt me. It's the leadership's fault. They, it can be easy to get bitter and cynical. It can be really easy to start putting yourself just offside and make a bit of an us and them line. And we don't want to do that because that creates bitterness within us. And the warning here in the scripture is don't do that because that can affect many. We don't want to affect our brothers and sisters in a negative way. We want to build one another up. We want to see one another come to a fullness of the faith. We want, to, we want to come and walk in the holiness of God and we want to see that fruit of holiness working in our lives so that it's not just evidence to one another but it's evidence to everyone around us that we belong to God. The love of God working in us and through us it's out to others. It doesn't, it doesn't take much. And we, we don't want to fall into that. But, you know, the antidote to bitterness is to be grateful. Because if we're thankful, there's no room for complaint. There's no room for gossip or criticism or, or anything like that. 
First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. I think this is one of the biggest challenges I've ever read in three short verses in the whole Bible. Rejoice always, always. Pray without ceasing, always. In everything, give thanks, always. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You Always rejoice, always give thanks. Praying without ceasing, always. In all situations, all of the time. So in conclusion, choosing to endure God's discipline is not only a means to the end goal of right living in holiness and having our characters trained and moulded and shaped by God himself. Sorry, I meant to say there, choosing to endure God's discipline is only a means to the end goal. It's not a means in and of itself. It's not an end in and of itself, but it's a means to achieving that goal of right living in holiness. Having our characters trained and moulded and shaped by God. If you remember from my previous message, I said that in holiness we have the idea of devotion, of being set aside or separated for service to God. It speaks of our relationship to God, which results in a state of godly conduct and moral excellence within us. It's a predetermined state that God calls us into, the Christian course that we begin to pursue and we begin to live out. Endurance and discipline play two large parts in our pursuit to live our life, you know, live out our call of a life to be holy. But for now, it's good for us to remember that we are encouraged to put, while we are encouraged to personally work at being holy, God never leaves us without a means to actually complete what he has asked of us. He always gives us the ability to fulfill his commands. Ephesians 1.3 All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Because we are united with Christ. And Romans 6, 4. For we died and we are buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Let me put the, 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 the main ideas of those two verses together for you. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing because... We are united with Christ. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, that I might put in brackets here, the same resurrection power that works in every believer right now, that empowers us. Now we also may live new lives. Now we may also live new lives. It's right now. You know, when we experience when we come into that place of confessing our sin and knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior in our life and we come to that place of where we we are born again and we know but we know but we know something has changed because God is now resident in our hearts Jesus is now living here that's when we know now we have eternal life. It begins now and it goes on 
forever and ever. It changes. You know, we're going to die one day and we're going to transition on into another phase. It's like the metamorphosis of a, of, a, you know, of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly kind of thing. But it starts now. It's right now. Saints, I want to encourage you. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. I work at living a holy life because it takes a little bit of application. That's all it is. This is work at living a holy life. It just takes a little bit of application on our part to decide to follow after our champion, Jesus.